The only way to bag a classy lady is to give her two tickets to the gun show. And see if she likes the goods. Okay, kids, here we go. Next seminar up December 8th through the 10th, then February 9th through the 11th. Coaching workshop going on October 21st in Long Island. This is open to anyone with no prerequisites. This is for personal trainers, fitness instructors, or folks that want to casually coach their family and friends. We go over the starting strength methods and principles on barbell training, and participants will take each other through the five-step deadlift setup. There is a discount available for active personal trainers, so check out the link for details. Self-sufficient lifter camp November 4th in Wichita Falls. Press and bench press camp going on November 11th in Orlando at Starring Strength Orlando. Deadlift and power clean camp December 2nd on Long Island. Couple squat and deadlift camps November 4th in Indianapolis at Starring Strength Indianapolis. And then November 12th in Baltimore at 5x3 training. And finally, squat press and deadlift camps on the list. These are three lift camps going on Brussels, Belgium at Brussels Barbell October 21st and December 9th in London. Got a fresh update of top 10 markets that we're looking to put franchise gyms in. So listen up. Looking at Arlington, Virginia, Charlotte, Raleigh, and Durham in North Carolina, Phoenix, Jacksonville, Florida, Kansas City, Missouri, Vegas, Milwaukee, Detroit, and finally Norfolk, Virginia. If you have any interest in those markets, head over to startingstrengthgyms.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom, hit the Own a Gym tab, and find out more information. And as usual, for more info on anything else that I've talked about, head over to StarringStrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Uh, this week, we are uh, fortunate to have with us as our guest, Alex Epstein. And Alex is the author of this controversial book, Fossil Future, in which he argues that more, not less, fossil fuel should be made available and used. And uh, he's uh, made a very, very good case for this. And uh, I'll invite you people to just hang on to your chairs here because we're going to say stuff today that will, you know, disagree with, you know, the, the narrative. And that's what we like to do here is disagree with the narrative because the narrative typically is bullshit. It's complete and utter, absolute bullshit. So, Alex, thank you for, for spending some time with us today. Appreciate your being here on the podcast. Sure thing. So, uh, Fossil Future argues that fossil fuels, the energy that we obtain from fossil fuels, uh, is energy that is available to mitigate any damage or harm that might be caused from its own consumption. Is that a fair assessment? That's a key, that's a key point. And I think a very underappreciated point. Yes. Uh, I think it's very helpful to think of technologies in the way we at least properly think of something like a prescription drug or any medical intervention mm -hmm. where you carefully weigh benefits and side effects, including negative side effects. And people would say, well, it's wrong to just look at the benefits of something and avoid looking at the side effects because you could make a wrong decision. But by the same token, it's also wrong to just look at side effects, particularly negative side, not negative side effects, and ignore benefits. I mean, if you did that, you know, you'd never have any surgery. You would never take any medication. Right. Uh, but, those, but not doing those things, not doing something because it has negative side effects can be deadly if the benefits far outweigh the negative side effects. So in general, and I'll get to your point in a second, which is a more sophisticated version of this, but in general, you need to carefully weigh the benefits and the side effects of any technology or product. Now, what's distinctive about fossil fuels is they not only have benefits that are very significant, but those benefits can actually cure the negative side effects, which is, is very rare. Like if you have a surgery or something like that, and there's a potential side effect of some kind of injury, 
this, the benefits of the surgery could outweigh that side effect, but they don't cure the side effect or an antibiotic has a side effect. It doesn't cure its own side effect. Whereas with fossil fuels, take almost any side effect you can imagine of fossil fuels, whether it's climate related, pollution related, whatever, it can in many ways offset and overwhelm those effectively curing them. So you take something like, let's say, for the sake of argument, fossil fuels increase the incidence of drought. Well, but they also radically increase our ability to irrigate and yes. to move crops from one place to another. And we've seen in the last hundred years, when some people claim we've had more problems with drought or more challenges with drought, the rate of death from drought has gone down over 99%, largely due to the energy and machines right. we get from fossil fuels. So it's this very special thing where you have to look at the benefits and the side effects. And with fossil fuels and with other forms of energy, the benefits can actually cure the side effects. And so you can have a situation where by using them, every aspect of life gets better, including I argue with fossil fuels, the livability of climate has gotten far better, even if fossil fuels do create challenges with climate, because the abilities they give us to overwhelm those challenges far exceed the challenges. Right. I would... Uh... In, in contrast with your with your position, my position on this situation, and I've said this several times on this podcast, is that this the worry about climate change, global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it, that whole endeavor is a pseudoscience. It is absolutely a pseudoscience on par with astrology, palmistry, and phrenology, like reading the bumps on your head, it is a pseudoscience because it predicts nothing correctly. In fact, uh, without falsified data, uh, without made-up numbers and, and data that's just absolutely bullshit, uh, the argument goes completely away. And well, and the other part of that is that makes it a pseudoscience is that it cannot be falsified. And when I say falsified in that context, what I mean is what could I tell a global warming enthusiast that would make his argument false? And you have to realize there's nothing because it's not an argument based on science it is a belief system in the same way that a religion is a belief system and there's nothing you can say to these people that are bought in to uh to the you know i mean who are these people in the uk that are sitting down in the street and just stop oil just stop oil is there anything you say to any of those kids that would make them say well you know you're right no, there's nothing. There's no evidence. Well, there's no argument. There's no logic. There's no arithmetic. There's nothing you can say to them to change their mind. It's a pseudoscience. It's a belief system. That's all it is. Well, so I think part of where I diverge is I, I think you have to subdivide. When people are talking about the science, it's talked about in a very vague and sloppy way as if right. oh, everything people say against fossil fuels and about climate is somehow just one scientific issue. And that's that's part of what has a religious element to it. It's yes. like, oh, you believe in all of this doctrine or you don't. But I, so that's that's wrong. And I do agree there are significant religious elements to it. But I think there are basic things in meteorology and climate science mm -hmm. where people do have real knowledge, including I talk about the nature of the greenhouse effect. You have to differentiate that from climate prediction, which is much, much less mature. And you have to differentiate that from what I would call the science of climate livability, which is what's going to happen to how dangerous or how safe climate is. And one of the big fallacies there is people ignore our ability to what I call master climate, to, to make a dangerous climate safe. Mm -hmm. So what you have is, is what I think happens is people take the the valid science that we do have some warming impact on climate and then they use that to predict catastrophe to predict like huge changes in a way that's not warranted by science mm -hmm. and then they use that 
to predict that we won't be able to deal with it in a way that totally contradicts our experience where we've become far safer from climate since we began using fossil fuels. And then they, they go one step further, which is they say, well, the policy is obviously to get rid of fossil fuels in less than 30 years and replace them specifically with unreliable solar and wind. And that becomes a dogma. So I, I agree it has that a is, whole religious this, thing. That is, it, you're, it, anyone that holds that position is just simply innumerate. Because yeah, the math we're, we're gonna talk work. about that, but I just want to make clear like there's there's not enough uh, dis- there are not enough distinctions made among different scientific questions. Right. And part of what a scientific field does is it says, okay, here is this question, here's that question. You don't conflate them. Whereas a religious or a political movement, they often just lump every they they just want science as a word to rubber stamp their policy. Right. I think you saw exactly. some of this with COVID. Believe it's not the, the science. All yeah. of that shit. Believe the science. Believe the science. Well, the science is not settled. There is no such thing as settled science. There is well, I, no I, such I, animal. I think that's. I. I think that's. You can say that's true in a certain sense, but there's definitely very different degrees of confidence. Oh yeah. In science. I, I think the issue with the settled is they claim climate catastrophe is settled, and I would argue it's actually refuted because we've been Completely. emitting CO2 for a long time. Completely and refuted. And we're better off than ever. But I it, wouldn't say it's unsettled. I think it's I think it's settled that the benefits of fossil fuels far outweigh any negative well, side that, effects. Well, that is a good point. That's a good point. But that when they use the term settled science, uh, they're ignoring the fact that all it takes to disprove the, the law of gravity would be one example where it didn't work. The science now, is never saying, settled. This now, is the whole thing about philosophy of science, because it's like, like the whole, what you're trying to do with science is you're trying to understand causal relationships. Right. And there are real causal relationships, and you're trying to, usually you're getting at them through inductive generalization. So you're looking at some number of cases and then right. seeing, okay, how do you ferret out a causal relationship? And then sometimes you can overgeneralize uh, about something, like there are cases that you right. haven't seen, but it's still true that there is a causal relationship in a large group of things. Maybe there's just a new instance that you don't know of. So this is, I, I think I think it's a mistake when people, they challenge climate catastrophism by just kind of a pure skepticism because it's, it's too charitable toward climate catastrophism. Climate catastrophism is false, given everything yes. we know about the livability of climate. It's not simply that, it's, it's not like gravity at all. Right? It's not like Newton's no. law of universal gravitation no, no. where it, it explains it's, so much. It's absolutely And then there's something the else to add. It's like right. it explains nothing, and it evades our ability to master climate. Well, the, the focus for the past, uh, oh, 15 years or so since this, this, this pseudoscience really ramped up has been on CO2. And... Um, Right now, all across the world, the received wisdom is that CO2 is a deadly poison. And it must be mitigated. We have to stop emitting CO2 or we will destroy the planet. Now, this is just as patent an example of bullshit as is available anywhere in the world. You know, CO2 is, and my background is geology. I got, that's my science background is geology. We, uh, CO2 uh, right now at 380 parts per million is about as low in the atmosphere in terms of a component of the atmosphere as it's ever been in the history of the world. We have had glacial periods where the CO2 level was at 6,000 parts per million. It's not related to the climate. It's not related to the climate. What it is related to is plant life. It's related to plant life and it's related to O2 because O2 comes from plant life. That's why we've got oxygen in this atmosphere. And CO2 is plant food. 
CO2 is added to greenhouses to make the plants grow better. CO2 is plant food. And to equate CO2 with uh, the destruction of this planet is, that's, you know, the harm done by these people is, and you can't, you cannot even talk about this with the vast majority of people on earth right now uh, because they are convinced, they are thoroughly convinced that CO2 is, is, is a deadly poison. Well, I, I, think, I think you can talk to people. Some of the points you're making are notable in, I think, revealing something very odd because we know, if you tell people, hey, don't you know CO2 is plant food? Everyone knows that. I mean, you, you learn that at some point in right. biology class or even earlier than that. And yet we have this idea that if we add more CO2 to the atmosphere, it's going to be it's going to be all bad. Right. There's not even talk right. of any good. And it's odd because, well, wouldn't it be obvious that it's going to be a greener world? And at least that's yeah. better. It's a lot of free fertilizer, so it'll make it easier to grow crops. And then even with warming, if you just think of common sense, most people want it to be warmer than it is right. people and this is an excellent point in your book warming when, so, so go and let's okay. let's make this right now when you warm the planet what gets warmer are the cold places right they they're disproportionately right. affected they're by disproportionately warming. So that's affected another, by the warming that's even another thing most people don't know but even if they just thought it was equal you have to know there are a lot of places in the world at least that are too cold and then you look empirically on every single continent more people die of cold than of heat today right and that's after two degrees fahrenheit warming over the past hundred plus years so it just should it should it should be problematic in people's minds wait a second why are we assuming that man-made co2 even leaving aside all the benefits of the energy we get from fossil fuels why are we assuming that's all bad? I think what this really shows is there's an anti-human bias in mm -hmm. our thinking. There's the idea yes. that if we put the CO2 in the atmosphere, it must be bad. I think when you point that out to people, it, it wakes them up a little bit and they say, wait a second, oh yeah, I can see why we shouldn't assume it's bad because it's us. We should look at it clinically and say, hey, what's good about this? What's bad about this? And once you do that, then the whole catastrophe right. thing starts to fade away. Well, and there, there you head back into the religious aspects of this, of this argument. It's bad because we did it. Yeah. Right. And we're evil because we're humans right. and we're evil and we need absolution. And yeah. the way to get absolution at this point apparently is for uh, all of us to stop using uh, our gas stoves. Yeah, there's you know, always a new one every right. three months. It's a every new three form months of repentance. Yeah, the, the, this, 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 you know, in the, in the, and it, isn't it interesting that every one of those new things always extends the power of the federal government? It's it's hard to well, that, hard yeah, to escape that's, that. That's a non coincidence. I mean, part part of it is though, if people people who want more power over individuals love the idea of universal activities that that are uh that are supposedly harmful it's kind of like some people embrace the idea of like covid that was just ubiquitous and that was going to kill everyone because then everyone mm -hmm. is guilty right and then you have the unlimited right to control them you could lock them in their right. homes indefinitely because because they're a threat. And so with CO2, right. it's, well, we all emit CO2 because we all not just breathe, but we use machines and all the machines involve fossil fuels. So if we're all a threat to the planet, that means there's an unlimited uh, prerogative of the government to right. control us. And a lot of people like that idea. And the threat is the key here, because before you can control a huge number of people, you first have to make them afraid because they will respond to fear when they will not respond to anything else. I think this they also respond. I think fear and guilt are related. Guilt and fear are, yeah. They're, they're, because because it's they're, partially. Yeah, they're, they're intimately related. Because if you're afraid of destroying the planet by your activities, me, I destroyed the planet because I'm breathing, right? Then that guilt 
is prompted by the fear of the planet being gone. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so everyone is is being told, "Hey, you're destroying the planet." So you have to be afraid of each of everyone else, including yourself, in a sense. And then you also have to feel guilty mm-hmm. for your role in it, and, and certainly any protest. Because if you protest, then they could say, "Oh, you're, you know, you're a denier. You're, uh, you Denial don't care about the planet. You right. don't care about you don't my care kids. about the planet." And as a result of you not caring, we don't have power over you. And that's what we really want, is we want to control your actions and your activities and your daily life, and we want you to cede that control to us. And in order for that to happen, we need to scare you. And it works, yep. man. It works. How many people wore the mask in 2020 and 2021, 22? How many people wore the mask because they were afraid? They behaved according to their fear. And fear is the basis of all of these interventions. It's everything makes you scared. You've got this, this Danish child running around all over the place talking about the planet boiling and all this other dog shit. What, is the, what was the last thing here a couple of weeks ago? A climate it's not a climate emergency now. It's a climate crisis. It's a crisis. They're always changing and, the, the noun. Yeah, we got to do different nouns, and, you know, the adjectives are, are catastrophist, and everything is, you know, it's all designed to make you scared, make well, you Well, let's afraid. just comment quickly on the names, because the name evolution is interesting. Even if you just start with climate change to then climate catastrophe or climate crisis or climate mm-hmm. emergency, climate change is itself a big problem. It's way too vague, right? It's like, what do you mean? Cl- change is inherent in climate. So there's no mm-hmm. such thing as climate non-change. So right. they, they're, they're, not, they're just deliberately taking a term that nobody can argue with. But then what they want you to mean is man-made climate catastrophe. So they say climate change, so everyone agrees, but then they interpret it as man-made climate catastrophe. So that was the first devious thing. But then they decided that wasn't effective enough. So we're just going to name the state of things a catastrophe. They're just going to say, oh, we have a climate emergency. And what that that then prevents them from needing to argue anything. They just refer to a climate emergency like I would refer to my computer screen. Oh, that's a computer screen. Oh, there's a climate emergency. Right. So instead right. of yeah, having you, to make an argument. If you can select that, that term. Thing, oh, yeah, it is. If you could select the terminology, then you select the thinking about it. Yes. You know, and you, you, pr- you stop thinking about it because right. it's not even a question. No. Is it a crisis? And then people have no real evidence. It's just anecdotal. Oh, here someone died of this weather event. And you think, well, well, people used to die way more of weather events. So obviously no anecdote is evidence. But right. they've already committed on faith to, oh, we have an emergency. Now let's just talk about what to do about it. And guess what? That involves a lot of government control and a lot of restriction of fossil fuel use. Right. Yeah. How many people 100 years ago died in hurricanes versus how many people die in hurricanes now? I mean, it, it was, it, you know, it, much, much more common. Much if, more and that's common. just kind of common sense. But people, right. it's funny because people think it's it's worse than ever. But if you think about it for a second, would you rather live in the climate of 100 years ago with that level of technology and infrastructure versus today? I mean, you're you're oh. literally 50 times safer from death now oh, by yeah. the, all the evidence we have than you used to be. Oh, yeah. My parents grew up in North Texas in the early 1900s without a fan you know you 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 can't imagine what it was like you know we can't imagine we're air conditioning babies we can't imagine what it was like and and people died all the time people froze to death in the winter they were uncomfortable as hell all summer um but you know instead of that instead of looking at that what we are told and this is this is the problem. The, the biggest problem I see it from my standpoint is we are told there are now because of climate change, there are more hurricanes. So more people are going to die. And that is not true. That is not true. There are no more hurricanes now than there were 100 years ago. 
that is that is that is false that is a false assertion and uh and that is repeated over and over and over again they will say anything they will lie about anything to make this climate emergency something that's not discussed it's just accepted as a climate emergency because there's more hurricanes now no there aren't well but, but it's interesting you said there because there are two portions of it right there and i think both are false but one is obviously false so one is there's more hurricanes or more intense hurricanes but then it's therefore we're in more danger and right. even if we had and, more and more intense hurricanes we're clearly much less in danger yes because, than we were before. because now we know the hurricane is coming and we can move well that that's one big thing but also we can build much more resilient infrastructure right. we know how to, to build against with. hurricanes now you know? so, so that's 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 what i stress the most like, like there's there's a certain category of thing where you have to study a lot of data to get it and and all of that kind of thing i i give data for in fossil future but for me the most interesting thing is the interesting category of thing is the thing where you just think about it via common sense and it's obvious and yet everyone is ignoring it and right. one of these things is what i call climate mastery that we're far better at neutralizing climate danger than we used to be and clearly that improvement in climate mastery is far greater than any increase in climate challenges right. because we're obviously far safer but people really treat it like it was much more of a climate emergency 100 years ago than today and right. much more 200 years ago than 100 years ago people used to live in perpetual climate emergency that's why they invented all these climate gods and that's why you could have millions of people wiped right. out from a, a drought and a famine it's just a total disconnect from reality but right. it's, it's posing as science it's uh it is interesting that these people have been able to convince the general public that the the sky is falling uh it's the, it, the media has way, yeah. you know the media has has done an excellent job of doing their job their job is to increase the power of the government and you know there's certain aspects of the media like us me and you that, that are not but the 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 mainstream media has always been about doing the job of the propaganda arm of the government. And we've all decided that control must be ceded to the government because of global warming. And so what they have done is convince everybody that the world is going to end if the, the atmospheric fraction of CO2 goes up another 2%. When the that's just false that's false but they say it over and over and over again and the lie repeated often enough becomes the truth as mr goebbels think, demonstrated to us <laughs> in the 1940s i think it's interesting this question of because it's true absolutely that there's a lot of fear and i think most yeah. disgustingly and prominently it's among children where they really have the visceral fear where people are being kept awake and this the, and that's the public schools have done their job of brainwashing but, but, these kids but i think there's an interesting phenomenon with the adults more and the leaders of this where they're clearly not afraid of this the way that people were afraid of nuclear war or even of co you know even of covid particularly if they were vulnerable it's it's like this fear that everyone likes to say existential threat crisis emergency but they don't feel it they still fly around they still do all this other stuff yeah. and i think what what that what fun and and in a sense you can't believe it because you're not experiencing an emergency with climate because there isn't one but i think that it actually it relates to fear and guilt because it does guilt everyone because it's it's spread even though people don't really feel it viscerally they have the guilt that we're all causing it and then that makes them compliant for a whole bunch of political control policies and then actually a whole bunch of commercial green schemes of just like oh what do i do to be a good little boy you know okay i buy a prius i buy a tesla i get rid of my uh you know my gas heater i have to get a heat pump no gas stoves i buy this green uh recycled thing i don't use a plastic straw it's just right. all these little stupid right. rituals that are really 
based on guilt. They're not actually anyone thinks, oh, if only I use a paper straw, then the world is going to be great. It's like it, it has a really religious guilt to it. And I think that's that's a dominant yes. motive and it, it leads to yes. political submission yes. and to commercial submission. Actually. Did you see where the French a couple of days ago, the French have in a poll, the, the French people have, have concluded that we should only be able to take four airline flights in our lives. I, I didn't see that. I've seen they've been that's limiting short four. trips. I mean, that's that's you look at the motive there four. of opposing four. flight, yeah. and you think about think about how many people have never flown, and what an amazing thing it is to fly. Just the experience. I mean, we were flying. My wife and I were flying the other day, and just occasionally not enough, but we'll look outside and you just see how gorgeous just even being able to see the clouds at that level and your yeah. ancestors never had a chance. Oh yeah, it's cool. And of course, you know, we were there are aspects of it that are cool, I have to say. I'm not going to be treated that way by a waitress. So I don't fly <laughs> commercial anymore. But I'm uh okay. but it, it it's fun to look at the clouds as the planes flying around in the sky. There's no doubt about it. Well and also just and of course then just the ability to go. I mean, you know, we were visiting dear friends of ours who live in Austin and we live in Southern California and then uh, you know, then we can go there and do stuff we want and fly back and just make a weekend of it and right. get back to work. It's just amazing. And, and billions of people, I don't know the exact numbers, must be at least 6 billion people have never flown. And the whole focus is let's get rid of these cheap flights. Let's make it hard. Let's make for it harder for anybody to get anything done that doesn't increase our control over them. Our control over them must be total. And, you know, this is the underlying deal here between this and COVID and all this, all the, all the, all the shit that's going on now in 2023 is control must be absolute. And in order for control to be absolute, they must be afraid. So they'll give us control because we'll tell them that we will fix this and there's nothing you know what you know how you know all of this is bullshit alex because we're not even allowed to talk about nuclear energy we're not even allowed to have a discussion about nuclear power to generate electricity there's no reason why we can't do that it's been done but nobody will even discuss it and the fact that they're not discussing nuclear energy shows you that this is complete bullshit. All of this is about control. Yeah, I think it's it's one of these cases where the thing they say they're concerned about clearly isn't the thing they're no. concerned about. No. Because if you were concerned about CO2 from a human perspective, so you're thinking, oh, well, I'm worried about the effects of more CO2, well then, but I still want as much energy as possible. Then you'd look at well, what have well, what nope. ways have we found to produce reliable hey. energy at low cost <laughs> that are scalable? And really, nuclear leads. I mean, hydro is amazing, but it doesn't work everywhere. It doesn't work right. on a fully global scale. No. But nuclear, we've had amazing results with until the green movement increasingly regulated it to the point of criminalization, where it's just almost impossible to do anything. And, and there's still hostility. You'll occasionally have a climate catastrophist who will say, hey, why don't we use nuclear? And then the broader green community well, will shut him down. jump on them. Oh, yeah. They just, shut him. Well, you can use nuclear. That's what, I mean, Hiroshima. <laughs> yeah, well, they, yeah. yeah, right. So they equate a nuclear plant. And I have a, although fossil futures about fossil fuels, I have quite a bit about nuclear. And there's no, it's just so unforgivable that people treat a nuclear plant as a nuclear bomb and they treat it as uniquely dangerous when it's actually uniquely safe. Uh, oh, so so a, I agree. It's, it's, it's a very revealing thing that it's not really about the CO2. The CO2 is just, you can say it's one way to get control. I think that's ultimately true. But more directly, it's about thinking all human impact is bad. So CO2 okay. is just one form of human impact they can scare us with and guilt us with. Right. But they're also against us splitting the atom. They're also against us building a dam. They're also against us mining for the materials and solar panels and wind turbines. It's Unless all about it's lithium. The human impact it's, is bad. it's okay to mine for lithium. Well, but even because that, that is Because that goes in batteries, up. right? Well, but but it's more like it's not okay in people's minds if they're seeing it. Lithium, a lot of the green stuff has been out of sight, out of mind. 
because right. it's happening largely in China and a lot of places that Africa, China has a lot of control you know, over. Places that are yeah, yeah. rich in minerals. <laughs> right. And 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 it's just not. But but when people see it. So, for example, we have this amazing deposit of of minerals, a lot of which could be used for batteries and other things in Minnesota. And Biden just announced, oh, 200,000 acres, that's off limits for 20 years. And so once the Greens see anything that in industrial, <laughs> they oppose it. Isn't that odd? This is, you know, <laughs> if you're not cynical about damn near everything, then you're just not paying any attention, boys and girls. You're just not paying any attention. You know, I mean, if, if, uh, if you want no CO2 to be emitted, there is no alternative to nuclear power. There is no alternative. We don't have nuclear fusion under control, and we probably never will. But we've got nuclear fission under control. We've had it under control for 70 years. And when was the last time an electric plant was built in the United States based on nuclear fission. Do you know, Alex? Have yeah, they- well, we just had some completed, but it, it was, so the statistic I like is since the creation of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, uh, there, there went 47 years went by when no plant was went from conception to completion. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Oh, so 40, 47 years, so 1975, basically to now and the, the plants that have been completed in in uh in georgia they're just so ridiculously over budget because it's so because the regulatory environment is so crippling the now, regulatory environment part. is once again is the point they want to control everything and their version of regulating nuclear energy is to not have any yeah, right. It's 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 because if you can delay something indefinitely, you've effectively banned it. Yes. Like I would never invest in a nuclear company under today's. Oh God. Even though I love nuclear technology, because you just know it can be it can be delayed for sixteen years. You know, you're What's never it your won't ever amortize. It will yeah, never exactly. amortize. You can't do it. You know, if you if you quintuple the most wild projections. And those are still too conservative. Then why would anybody spend any money on that? You know, you're nuts if you do that. You're just absolutely yeah, I mean, nuts, and it's the government's fault. Now there is there is I am an, on an optimistic note. I've uh, the last few years I've been doing a lot more with elected officials, and people should check out. There's a free website called EnergyTalkingPoints.com where you can get really good messaging and policy on pretty much uh, any issue. There's also a newsletter you can sign up for, and I highly recommend it because we're about to release something called Alex GPT, which is a chat bot that answers everything as me based on my really extensive library of stuff. But we've, we've this has been mostly for politicians. Now it's more for the general public as well. And I've gotten a lot of interest in new legislation about nuclear. So I have some stuff in the works improving nuclear. So there are, there oh, are politicians who are interested in it. And and changing a lot of these things. So I I just think, but we need, my point is we need radical change. If we didn't get one plant going from conception to completion for 47 years, you can't just tinker around the edges. You need radical policy reform. No, that is a systemic problem. And and it it has to be solved, but it's going to have to be solved by people who are intensely disinterested in solving it. It's, uh, you know, I don't know what you do. You get well, rid of the nuclear are, nuclear regulatory agencies. How yeah, I mean, you, you need you need at least. I mean, I think that the two things schematically you can do are the either the federal body needs to be radically reformed, and or it needs to be at the state level. At least states should be able to opt out of the federal uh, and do it. But you need like we had an atomic energy commission before the nuclear regulatory commission. It's not like we had nothing, but the atomic energy commission was actually focused on nuclear energy as a good right. thing. Let's right. help it Promoting spread cheaply it. and safely. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, its mission is to say, let's no. minimize only nuclear risk. So let's let's make nuclear have no risk, which nothing has no risk. So what you do is, and there's a lot of pseudoscience involved in how they do it, but what you do is you just create higher risk 
Because if you try to get rid of the thing that has the lowest risk, then you just do things with higher risk. So they, they hold nuclear to a million times the standard of any other form of energy. You know, and so they regulate it out of existence. I remember watching 60 Minutes one Sunday afternoon about 35 years ago. And uh, it's probably been about that long since I've actually watched television. But it, they had a, they had a, a segment on 60 Minutes about nuclear waste. And uh, this this whole segment, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, I think it's worth I think it's worth repeating. If your objection to nuclear energy is the nuclear waste generated by the reactors, uh, there is a a perfectly viable way to deal with that. And what what they do is, if you take spent nuclear rods and you chop them up and bury them in concrete mix them into concrete and then you form the concrete into a into a plug that is shaped like a torpedo with a pointy nose and fins on the back and you put these heavy concrete radioactive things on the back of a ship and you drive the ship out into the middle of the Pacific Ocean and you drop these shaped plugs of concrete and nuclear waste into the water and it goes down through 20,000 feet of water and embeds itself into the ooze on the bottom of the ocean floor the deep abyssal plain in the ocean floor it's buried now under 20 feet of ooze and for all practical purposes it is gone it will be subducted 55 million years from now it'll be absorbed into a subduction zone uh, into the mantle of the earth it's but in terms of being accessible it's gone in terms of being radioactive for any purpose it's gone it's buried in 20 feet of mud in a completely inaccessible place there is a way there is no excuse to not have nuclear reactors making energy if you're concerned about the nuclear waste it's a non-issue and it's been, and this is 35 years ago I saw this. And it's, 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 there, there is, but what do they do? They want to put it in a, in a canyon, in a cave, in the most tectonically active spot in the continental United States, out in Nevada, in the basin and range out there where there are earthquakes all the time. That's where they want to put it. Instead of out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, in international waters, it's just bizarre to me. There is another agenda here. There's always another agenda. Who doesn't want nuclear energy is the question. And where's the money? Well, I think, I think one thing I hope uh, people who check out Fossil Future, Chapter 3 in particular, talks a lot about incentives. And I think there is a Part of my analysis is I, I always look at where's the philosophy, not just where's the money. Where's the money is important, mm -hmm. but where's the philosophy? Right. And people really, the, particularly the leaders of this movement, have a deep hostility toward human impact on nature. They just think it's wrong for us to impact nature. And you see this with nuclear. Right. Nuclear is the cleanest, safest form of energy. There are numerous ways of dealing safely with nuclear waste, including we just have it in pools outside nuclear power plants. It works just fine. It's very compact. It's in a sense the least problematic waste. It doesn't end up in your lungs at all. It doesn't mm. explode. It's, but there's they always find a reason to oppose things. But when you refute the reason, they still oppose it. The, and and it's same thing. There there's it's, no interest. You know they say oh we hate fossil fuels because of CO two. And then you say okay but let let's look into nuclear. No 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 we can't do nuclear because of the waste. Oh you refute the waste. We can't do nuclear because of the safety. Oh you refute that. And then it, there's always there's always an excuse. Yeah, we, we just, we just, I just don't want to. 
is the excuse. Yeah, because oh, it, it is no but more. because it involves impact, they think it's wrong. Anything that makes our modern high impact civilization possible, there's this hostility too. And they, they invent these reasons that will resonate with us. But for them, the reason is they just think it's evil. <laughs> it's a little late for that, boys and girls. <laughs> We've impacted things already. And yeah, yeah, you know, over the past years, the past 50 years or so, our impact has lessened and we've improved things that we used to fuck up. We've improved things. The air is cleaner now than it was 50 years ago, despite the fact that there's twice as many of us now. And the reason the air is cleaner is because we are able to use fossil fuels and power this society for twice as many people much, much more efficiently than we did previously. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's uh, it's really, you know, you look at it, I mean, I would say we, we've lessened our negative impacts, you know, our, our unhealthy yeah. impacts. And that's, that's really what can continue. That's why I say fossil future is... We don't have anything close to fossil fuels for the next several decades, at least, in terms of being able to provide low-cost, reliable energy for every type of machine and purpose. Right. Especially if we're not allowed to make it, which is... Yeah, well, billions of people in thousands of places. So we can, just like when I was born in 1980, like if you compare now to then, it's a much better world overall. We're safer from climate. Yeah. Everything is better overall, insofar as we've been free the past couple of years have been particularly anti-freedom, and that's actually finally causing some regression. But in general, it's been a very progressive thing in the, in the proper sense of the world, word in terms of the world becoming a better place for human life. And we can continue to do that, but we need to shed all these terrible way, ways of thinking that are ultimately anti-human and also anti-freedom. And that's, that's you know, but I do think it's possible. And I highly encourage people not only to check out the book, but energytalkingpoints.com, because that'll give you the raw material to persuade a lot of other people. When I was little, when I was a little boy, before all of this anti-nuclear shit started cascading down from the media, there was talk of the development of of household-sized nuclear reactors. You probably don't remember that, but, you know, the, the, the talking points back then were that, you know, everybody will essentially be off the grid because you can plug into your own little tiny portable nuclear reactor, which they were talking about developing at the time, and uh, having, you know, uh, electricity provided by that. But, see, instead, now we have to burn coal and natural gas. And we have to litter the landscape with these idiotic-ass wind turbines and solar panels in order to do what nuclear can do without those climate impacts but we can't even we're not even allowed to have a discussion about it you know this is that's how you know these people are not serious about this they're not serious about it well fortunately fortunately we're we're able to have the discussion at least somewhere wherever you're able to you and i are and you know all of the thousands and thousands of people watching this need to need to be uh made aware of the fact that uh alternatives exist that make perfect sense but that our betters are not allowing us to pursue i would say they exist but but you need radical policy changes for them to really develop they've been stag nuclear's been stagnating for decades decades so it's not like we can just turn off fossil fuels in 10 years and turn on nuclear but we can at least liberate nuclear now so that it can start to grow to its potential. Sure. That applies to anything that's cost effective. I'm for anything that's cost effective, uh, but I'm not for getting rid, for forcibly preventing us from using the thing that's cost effective now and then promising us, oh, somehow sunshine and wind will work. If you think that's true, you offer them on a free market and produce reliable low cost energy, and then I'll be happy to buy it. Right. Right now, uh 
Texas has is, is got a big, gigantic amount of wind power going up all over the place. And the, the damn things, every single one of those wind turbines are essentially 100% paid for by the federal government. They do not amortize. They do not generate enough electricity over the course of their really relatively short lifespan to pay for themselves. So they're they're hugely subsidized. The main thing is they don't provide reliable electricity, no. so they're really um, they're really parasites. Yeah, Texas is a, is a mess. Fossil Future argues that uh, uh, we need to be uh, thankful and embrace the potential of fossil fuel because of its ability to generate energy that mitigates any harms that might be produced by that use. And uh, I think the, the book makes an excellent case for that. It's a long, dense book. Alex has done a whole bunch of, of research here, and you guys need to read this thing. Fossil Future, it's on Amazon. That's where I got mine is Amazon. And uh, you guys need to need to get in the middle of that and see exactly what his argument is and then, and then talk about it. Talk about it amongst yourselves, why don't you? Alex, thank you very much. Alex Epstein has been our guest today on Starting Strength Radio, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.